0: Welcome to the Succession Stories podcast. I'm Lori Barkman. I work with business owners to maximize value, create options for the future, and be happy in your next. I'm excited to share the What's Next series as part of Succession Stories. These conversations spotlight the theme of transitions. Changes can come at you unexpectedly or be planned. Are you ready? After all, in business and life, succession is about transitions, and how you embrace what's next matters. When you face your biggest ownership and leadership transition decisions, will you be ready? Most owners feel as if they are pushed out of their business, but the happiest exits occur when there are more factors pulling you towards your next. That's why I'm offering a way for you to evaluate your readiness on a personal level. Go to getmyprescore.com. Take our online survey. It just takes eight minutes to complete and you'll receive a custom report of your personal readiness to exit your business including a summary of unseen factors that could lead to regret in addition you'll receive a free ebook the exit checklist a five-step personal action plan for a happy and lucrative exit from your business your score means getting closer to your next chapter whatever wherever that may be visit getmyprescore.com i meet a lot of people who inspire me by their accomplishments in business others who inspire me by how they've changed their life and the lives of others. Tana Green is all the above and more. Tana shared her personal story about her teenage pregnancy and leaving an abusive marriage at the young age of 18. When she fled with her son, she left with nothing but dreams. One was to start her own business. Flash forward to today, and Tana's multi-million dollar companies have consistently been recognized amongst the top 100 fastest growing woman-owned businesses in the United States. In 1988, Tana co-founded Green Group, an hourly staffing company that grew to operate in more than 20 states. She guided the company's transformation to my work choice, a human-centered technology approach to hiring and managing the hourly workforce that keeps America's warehousing, logistics, call center, and light industrial operations running smoothly. We talked about Tana's life story and her experience with domestic violence and her power of setting goals towards a vision. She shared her philosophy and approach to business, which is to create a culture of engagement that results in high performance. There's a lot to be inspired about in this What's Next episode with Tana Green. Maybe you'll share it with someone you know to help them find their voice and pay it forward. Thanks for listening. Tana Green, good morning. I am so excited that you're here with me on Succession Stories because your story has so much depth to it from your past and what you're doing today. You're a successful serial entrepreneur, CEO, And I think the timing is perfect, too, because yesterday was International Women's Day, and it's about rising to the occasion, taking on challenges, and you've definitely done that in your career. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you. I am really excited to be here, Lori, and I'm so glad you reached out to me because if I can tell my story to
1: help one person, I feel like I've made a difference. I'm ready to go. (laughs) Perfect.
0: Well, why don't we do that? Why don't we have you tell your story? Can you share your background? Where did you grow up? Tell us about your early years. I actually grew up in Chesapeake,
1: Virginia, and I grew up in a middle class family. My father was a Coast Guard officer, and my mother was a stay at home. I had a brother that was two years older. And I was an honor roll student, and I was the chaplain of my school when that was an elected position. Now I'm really aging myself, right? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, life was great, and we lived in the, you know, little three-bedroom, 1962 ranch. So I grew up in this, you know, it was a leave it to be situation. I mean, we had dinner on the table every night at six o'clock, and of course, biscuits with that in the South. and. Everything was great. And I went from middle school to high school. And what does every girl want when they get to high school is to say they've got the boyfriend? Well, lucky or unlucky, I got Mr. Popular, who was a senior who wanted to date me. And I fell head over heels. And by the summer between ninth and 10th grade, I got pregnant. So I had to go to my parents and say, I'm 15 years old and I'm pregnant. And I'll never forget my mother looking at me and she said to me, she said, I'm so excited. And I went, for what? And she said, I thought I was going to be too old to be a grandmother. Oh. Now she was 34 when she had me. and Back then in the fifties, that was,
0: that was older, pretty old to be older. having children. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So she was 51 at the time and she showed me just unconditional love. And I'm sure that's not what she was thinking. And I wish she was alive today because I'd love to say, what were
0: you really thinking? In that
1: moment? <laughs> She was so but, compassionate with you. Totally. And so then we sat down with my father, who was a mentor to me. He was a saint. He was the ultimate sounding board. He was never judgmental. He was always calm. And I remember him sitting us down and saying, what do you want to do? And we said, oh, we want to get married. We're in love. So two weeks later, I'm walking down the aisle in a white dress, and the women of the church are throwing this huge reception for me, and we're going off to live this life of bliss. Now, I have graduated ninth grade. That's it. He graduated high school. My parents helped him get a job. They had a little second home that they asked the people to move out of, and we moved in. Okay. And life was supposed to be grand. And those little signs of what I thought was love was control. And it got worse and worse. And next thing you know, I was living in domestic violence, physical and mental. And here I was 16 years old with a baby and he would take the phone to work with him. I was not allowed to see anyone or talk to anybody if he wasn't there.
0: It wasn't a cell phone. This was a rotary heavy phone. (laughs) Right, right, right. right. Where you unplug it. He unplugged it because you were home with your baby. You had a boy? Yes, I have a little boy. Yes, you had a boy. And, yep. and so obviously you were home taking care of your baby and your husband would take the phone. Yes. Why? It was control.
1: It was all about no one. And he would pop in in the middle of the day sometimes and search the house because he just knew I was having an affair. So it was crazy. And, and of course, here I am. I've lived a life where my parents were totally in love and they were the most incredible people. And i would never been in this, but I lived in this world of... Well, my parents didn't have fun. My parents were older and settled. They didn't drink. They didn't go out. I was never left with a babysitter. And to have fun, this is the other side of the coin. So I somehow associated living with that as okay in order to have fun and have a drink here and there and a party with friends. You couldn't have both. So I got the messages, and, and that's kind of one of my things I love to tell people is, we tell ourselves these crazy messages sometime from something that we heard or something someone said to us. And we got caught up in this world of, it has to be this way or that way. And it wasn't, there was an occasion where we were supposed to be going on a date. My son at this time is about eight months old. And it was a Friday night and I was 17. And what every 17 girl wants to do is go out with her friends, right? So I'd spent all day getting ready. It was back before they had hair straighteners. And to get your hair straight, you had to put it on top of your head and put two big curlers in it that looked like Mickey Mouse or Minnie Mouse. <laughs> yep. And you wore it all day like that in order to straighten your hair. I mean, I'd done all of the things. And uh, he was late coming home. He came in, he'd been drinking. I was crying. I said, I really want to go out. So like, it's fine. Get in the car, get in the car, drive to my parents' house who were going to babysit. He takes the carrier out, sits it on the ground, and proceeds to beat me and drive off. I had to go to the door. I had blood running down my face. I'm crying hysterically. I'm embarrassed because I haven't been able to fix or control this situation. Because what do we do as women? We want to fix things. So my dad opened the door, took one look at me. He didn't say one word. He got his keys and went looking for him. And thank God he didn't find him. But my mother was smart. I was just in hysteria. I was crying because now the truth is out. I've got to confront it. I've got to deal with it. And my parents called someone because it wasn't called domestic violence back then. Nobody even talked about it. There weren't centers for women to go to. But my mom called the YWCA and said, is there a counselor or somebody I can get with my daughter? So I spent a week of intense therapy with a gentleman. Gosh, I wish I knew his name and I wish I could reach out to him. And he said to me at the end of the week, he said, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. He said, this is the situation you're in. And he named it for me. And he said, you have a choice to make. You can be a survivor or you can be a victim. You can go back to him and be the victim. Or you can put some goals on paper and decide what you want. And I went home to my parents' house and I wrote four goals on a piece of paper that day. And I said, I'm going to finish high school. That was the one thing I did not want a GED. I wanted to walk down the aisle wearing the cap and gown. I said, I'm going to buy my first home at 25. I'm going to marry a knight in shining armor somewhere in between there and my 30th birthday. And I'm going to open my own business at 30. And I had all these specific goals. I don't even know where Where they came from. Where did they come from? I just think it was faith. I think it was the universe and it was just, decide and put times to it, that was the whole thing is I had literally time set up for each of these goals. Well, I finished high school and I went to business school to become a secretary. I took shorthand and typing. <laughs> and then I bought my first house at 22. Hey, I ended exactly. up at a commission job, commission only job, made a lot of money, bought my first house, married my husband. We just about to celebrate 36 years this month. At 26, and okay. I opened the doors of the business I'm currently in at 29.
0: Wow! So all so four. check just, check 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 yes check check
1: check, and it was like the power of goal setting has never left me, and the power of vision boards has never left me because when you believe in something, you can see it so clearly, it's gonna happen. It's never gonna happen on your time. No. That's the thing I've learned is patience is everything because. You can say, hey, I'm going to accomplish this. Like I said, I wanted to buy a house at 25. I did it at 22. I said, I want to open the business at 30. I did it at 29. You can't predict exact timelines. So it's just being very clear and sticking to what you want. So got through that. I have many, many ups and downs in the business. Many times where I didn't think I was going to make payroll. Many times where it was like, what am I doing? I'm not competent for this all of those crazy thoughts that we put in our heads. Um, My mother always told me I was bossy. And so forever I kept quiet because I didn't want people to think I was that bossy person. And yet you needed that to lead. So again, it's those messages sometimes that come from the craziest places and we get them in our heads and we can't get them out.
0: Well, thank you for sharing this. I know you've talked about this story publicly, and I know it's probably not easy to talk about. and an article that I read in Ink Magazine that was an interview with you talked yeah. about how you were a shadow, that his friends would come over and, and they would know that you were in the closet. Yeah. And I don't know if he put you there or you were hiding, yeah. but either way, you were in that closet. And so it was sort of figuratively and literally you were in the shadows. If he had not assaulted you on your parents' lawn, do you think that you would have come out of the darkness to, to get help? I think I would have if I had ever shared it with anybody. The whole thing is I kept it a
1: secret. And so no one could name to me what was actually happening. So I think that a lot of times we need to talk to people so they can say, oh, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. What are you doing? And then you wake up and you go, oh, wait a minute, because we get caught up in our own heads. It's the craziest thing what we do as humans. And um, the minute someone named it for me, I was able to get out. So, yes, I believe that at some point somebody was going to step forward and say, this is not right. I'm surprised my parents didn't, honestly, but they were the salt of the earth and just wanted to make it right, wanted to make it happen, wanted us to be happy. And back then you didn't kind of get involved in people's lives. You just didn't talk about your problems.
0: Yeah. You became yourself over time. You found yourself over time. And that moment of enlightenment where you wrote those goals that really set you on a course that really changed your life forever. And I'm, I'm so excited to learn more about it. So let's talk about your vision for starting a company. Why did you say that? And what was the business that you opened when you were 29 years old? So because I had set the goal of owning my own business,
1: I was in constant search of what was that business going to be. I had gotten a job at a business school one that I had actually gone to and became an admissions counselor, working with people, deciding what to do with their careers. And the part I loved the most was we had a 98% placement rate. And I just loved watching these people get jobs. The cool thing was they would come in without something or a low paying job and they would come out with something really good. So it, it hit me. I want to be in, first I said headhunting because I thought that was the avenue to be. And uh, I started researching it, and I took a job in Southern California. I was living there at the time, and I took a job with a guy who had a placement firm for high-end attorneys and insurance executives. And he said, hey, I want to start a staffing company to provide the paralegals and secretaries to these companies. Do you think you can help me figure that out? And I said, sure. Well, within 60 days of doing the research, I went, this is it. This is what I've got to do. I can help so many people connect to jobs. So my husband and I were living in California at the time, and we decided that we were going to buy a franchise because we didn't know anything about the staffing business, and that would be the best way to go. So we researched multiple franchises, and we ended up buying a franchise in 1987, brought it back to the East Coast. And again, I still haven't totally found myself or my voice even then. I'm I'm still finding that voice by the way. This is a this is a long time lifetime <laughs> journey. It doesn't happen overnight. I want people to understand you don't just wake up one day and say, "Whoa, I found my voice." Um so we went through we we started the business and somewhere along the way those messages from my childhood um, took control of me and that was that I'm the wife. He is supposed to be the CEO and the leader of the company and I'm to support And we went that way, I mean, we have a great marriage, phenomenal marriage and a phenomenal business partnership, but it was something I had in my head that I was supposed to support him and he was supposed to run the business. And that went on for um, quite a while in 2000. um, We decided we had a franchise agreement was going to end in 2002. And we thought we were going to sell back to the company. That was the whole goal. 15 years of running the franchise, we would turn it back to them. We would take our money and I would go do my calling. Now, there's another thing that I got in my head was that I couldn't make money and do a calling for good in the same space. Money's evil. I'm not supposed to do that. But if I sell this, it gives me the money to go do this. So I had all these messages going on crazy in my head. Did you have?
0: Did you know what that calling was, or you just thought there would be a calling? No, there just has to be a calling, but it oh, can't cool. be making money. Can't be making. Oh, can't money. be making right, money. Right, right, no. right. Because that's that's
1: evil. That's wrong. So <laughs> we're going along, and two thousand rolls around, and the company we were with went public. So we're a franchise now of a company that's gone public. They brought in a new CEO, and that CEO did not care for franchises and his whole idea was to get rid of them. So we started seeing the handwriting on the wall. Um, and we had been preparing a general manager to go with the sale of the company. So she'd been with me for four years. We had connected her very close with that company. And the whole idea was it was the transition would happen really easily. Well, she gives me her notice in 2001, middle of 2001, and says, um, taking another, um, my husband's taking a job, we're moving to Atlanta, I have to go, and I'm like, okay, so I throw a big going away party for her, i wishing her the best of luck, I even go over and help her pack her house up. She was taking a job with that company. Oh, they had hired her out from under me.
0: Oh, Boy, you, no. you talk
1: about becoming hardened over life, over time, but, so they take her, she goes to work for them. I find out about it. And then all of a sudden it hits me. My franchise agreement's running out. They had to get her away from me for the non-compete for a year because she had the relationship with my clients. So they're just going to swoop in and take it. Well, then 9-11 hit. And we all know what happened then. Half my business gone overnight. I was doing 15 million. It went down to 7 million overnight because I was in total manufacturing. Nobody was manufacturing anything. Nobody was distributing anything. So sitting six months out from the franchise ending, I feel like life is falling apart completely around us as we look at this. And we made the decision. We're going on our own. We are supposed to be doing this. We're supposed to continue with this. So we hired a coach. And I'll never forget what he said to me. He says, what is this calling thing that you keep talking about? And I said, well, I've got to go do this because of this. And he goes, could you not be in your calling right here? And I went, in what way? He goes, why did you get into this? I said, to help people get jobs. And he goes, do you not think that's a calling? (laughs) (laughs) And I went, okay. (laughs) And then he and my husband asked me to come to breakfast one morning, and they looked at me and they said, we need you to lead the company. And I went, what? I can't do that. And they said, why can't you do that? I said, because it will ruin my marriage. Again, one of those message
0: things that I had in my head and my husband's going, no, I'm asking you to do this. Do you think that it was because of control that you thought if you took control, he would resent you for
1: it? It could have been. It was like, I'm not supposed to be the lead in this relationship. Um, He is. So um, again, those messages came back to roost and here I was. And so I slowly moved into that role and um, it has taken me a good 10, 15 years to embrace it, to be honest with you. Um, I was always going to him for every decision and he would say to me, you need to follow your gut. You need to make those decisions. So he was a great coach to me as well in helping me really come out of this. And um, I, I feel like I have I've been like a seeker on steroids, trying to understand what the best leadership is in building culture and really helping understand values in your business. And what does that mean? What does purpose mean in your business? Because if I can't help connect my people to our purpose, they're not happy. They're not they're not driving in their own purpose. They're not in that place of joy. So started implementing a lot of these things and uh, at the time my COO who's now my president and my husband would go there she goes with that
0: witchcraft again so she was rolling her eyes you're like hey we're gonna do a values exercise and she's like what are the this hokey business what are we doing yeah yeah so these two guys are going down the hallway going there
1: she goes with her witchcraft again (laughs) so
0: now they'll tell you
1: best witchcraft that ever happened I mean so we we were able to build you know, um, uh, we we were we hit 64 million. We ended up um, selling uh, one of the divisions, which was transportation, to really embrace what we're currently doing now, which is my work choice. So um, again, I feel like my ultimate purpose is bringing empowerment to the working world that's never had it. Because if you think about hourly workers, they've never been empowered. They've been told where to be, how to act. And it's three strikes, you're out. So they live in fear all the time of I can't be at work today because my child's sick, uh, especially in this pandemic when schools aren't in session and everything else. And, you know, these rules of you have to work this shift and you have to be there consistently. And if you're not, you're fired. Right. I mean, let's face it, that was created in 1920 something by Ford because he wanted to have um, his manufacturing floor filled seven days a week. So he created these shifts. And then they started with the rules of, if you're absent, you can't be here. And I was like, that's the crazy thing. If you let people empower them, and let them choose when they want to work, they will be a better workforce for you and your turnover will go away. And I went out to prove that about four years ago. And we were able to take turnover. Turnover was running at 433% a year in industrial for wow. hourly positions because by, by 90 days, they've had their three strikes. They're out. Yeah. They're a great yeah. employee. Their production is high. And yet I'm firing them because life happens. So we were able to convince one client, uh, Stanley Black & Decker, to take us on as a test site at one of their manufacturing floors. And... It was astounding. We were hitting 96 to 98% share rates on every shift. It didn't matter whether it was second shift, weekend shift. We were able to charge no overtime because people chose when they wanted to work, and they capped them at 40. And people don't want to work over 40. The average person in hourly works 32 hours a week. So why not embrace that? So we created a model and a technology to really allow manufacturing and distribution to give flexibility to these workers unconditionally. And guess what? Those workers unconditionally come back as a good worker. So it's been very exciting to see that that purpose of helping people get jobs has really grown to empowering the working world. I mean, this thing just continues to grow 33 years, it's taken a lot of people to say, wow, what a success. Yeah, well, guess what? <laughs> 33 <laughs> years to get here and a lot of failure. Um, but ultimately now, I mean, everybody that works for us knows that their purpose is to empower these people and to help these companies build great workforces that give and give and give and don't turn over. So it, it's been an exciting ride. It's just the pandemic has helped us. It hurt us in the beginning because, of course, just like nine eleven, people stopped manufacturing and people stopped distributing. And now it's helped us because e-commerce has grown ten times uh, over this pandemic because people learned to order online. I mean, if I come home and there's not an Amazon box on the front porch, I'm depressed. <laughs> you know, I mean,
0: I look forward to that package because I forgot what I ordered. Right? Absolutely. No, it's been a very challenging time, and so for the past year. How have your company's values helped you get through the pandemic?
1: Oh, my gosh. I, I can only say that we wouldn't have gotten through it without those values. I mean, one is see the awesomeness in others. And that really comes from how my mother really approached when I told her I was pregnant. And she said, oh, I'm so happy. It's like that unconditional love. It's seeing the awesomeness in everybody. And especially now when people are hurting and they need a job. It's it's being compassion and it's with your colleagues, with your family, with your friends and dare to be different is um, is another one of ours. And, you know, I mean, I dared to be different, that's for sure. So it's like, how can we be different? How can we bring something to people that are really in need and what can we do to change that? And say it, mean it, do it. I mean, that was um, that was my father. He was uh, when he passed away, and his uh, elders and deacons in the church stood up and talked about him. And they called him Buddy. They said Buddy didn't talk the talk; he walked the walk. So he didn't preach; he just did. And so to me, that was very, very important in our business to do that and to have that as one of our core values and then never settle that's our number one and of course I didn't settle I don't expect anybody to settle because settling doesn't bring you joy I mean I've learned that stretching yourself and doing things that you're afraid of is where joy comes from
0: that is true really stretching yourself yeah. And you had taken the time to play this out. As you said, this is 33 years in the making right? and finding yourself in, in the mix. I want to circle back to one thing you mentioned about your husband, and then I want to move, move forward to, to the present day. Right. What was the circumstances when your husband said with the coach, we want you to run the company? What was happening around that time? Why did that transpire? I think um, the coach had said to him, you need somebody that's
1: inspirational, that can inspire people um, to really take the charge, because it was a hard time going through that. Uh, We really thought we were losing everything. I think we kept the wine business in business, um, because that's the only (laughs) way we got through it. Uh, But ultimately, I think that what he saw was He was willing to take a backseat to me because I had that ability to inspire people. And um, that's what great leaders do. Great leaders inspire their people. And that is the role that I was suited for. It was what I was born for. But ultimately, I was holding myself back from all these messages I had.
0: Yeah. So if we flash forward to today, you had shared with me as we spoke before the call, that you recently have been going through your own transition now in the business where you've taken a step back. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because there's a lot of people who maybe either are going through the same thing or thinking about it, either selling their company or looking to take a step back in their business and and maybe put their feet up on the desk and be chairwoman or chairperson as opposed to the day-to-day manager. Can you talk a little bit about what your path has been there? Yeah,
1: I, I, there, there was a book I read um, by Koff, the Kaufman Institute many years ago, um, and it's the speed of, what was the the exact title was, The Speed of Leadership, and it talked about three levels of leadership, and I'll have to get you that exact title, but it was three levels of leadership, and one was a startup person, one was a growth person, and one was th- this sustainability. And if you don't recognize when it's time to get out of the way of the path of the business, you can hurt the business. And I realized at this point, it was time for me to be continue to be the cheerleader, continue to inspire, but to back off the day-to-day and let my COO, who'd been with me 13 years, take the lead as the president. So um, I went through, we went through about a 90-day period of time. He and I really working through what does that look like? What does it feel like? How do you interact with me? How do I interact with you? What does it look like as a board? And um, we were able to flush through a lot of that. And I said, listen, this is what I want. I want to back off to two days a week. And I want to be the investor in the business. I want to be the board of directors in the business. And I want to continue to inspire um, the people so we were able to carve that out and that started January 1 and I have to say I have embraced it fully
0: <laughs> um, what does that mean in terms of your work hours in a week you, what were you working I'm assuming oh my gosh I was working 70? five or six
1: days a week yeah, yeah easily easily six days a week and 24-7 and now I'm only coming in on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I will take calls as need be or jump into meetings as need be But so far, I've pretty much kept my schedule to those Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I'm working out, I'm eating healthy, I'm spending more time with my granddaughter and my two children, and just really starting to embrace life. And it's been a great ride. I mean, I still am very involved in the financial aspects of the business and watching the numbers. I think I'll always do that. But I feel like this is the right place to let the next leadership take the role.
0: And you have such a strong set of values that your yes. core leadership team has been part of for, as you mentioned, the last 13 years at least for the yes. senior president. Yes. So that's not surprising that there's continuity there. What does that mean for you? You know, this is essentially another child of yours, right? Starting this company from scratch. Is it hard to let go? And what does that mean for your identity? Well, I, I look at it like this
1: letting it go is allowing it to grow. So that is the best thing I can do for it. The worst thing I can do is continue hanging in and not letting it grow. So I think that's good for me. Identity wise, I think I'm at a place in life where I don't need that connection to it's not ego. So I don't have that need to be recognized as the one doing it or the one having done it or I don't care about that anymore. It's really all about relationships. Now, maybe it's my age. I just turned 62. So it could be that. But it's like, what's important in life? And it's the it's experiences with people and relationships that is the most, that's what you remember. You don't remember building the business. You don't remember all of those things you go through. You do. But on your deathbed, is that what you're going to want to remember? No. Um, So for me, it's really about just spending time. My husband and I love being together and love doing things together. And uh, my daughter just got married in November. So that's been exciting. And my granddaughter's turning 11. Um, So my son is 46 and my daughter's 25. So (laughs) that's the
0: whole world. That's the world. And a lot of change in that time. And so as you think about your next, and you talked about this sense of having a calling, do you think about that now? What is your calling now? I really think my
1: calling is to create, uh, continue. I have creating a world of difference, which is a nonprofit that I created about 10 years ago. Continue to fund that and continue to work with groups um, that need our help financially. Uh, I've served on many boards. I find that I'm better off giving money uh, now than spending a lot of time with them. I don't mind doing that, but I think my, more my place now is with my family. And uh, I am thoroughly, in, and I want to help, I want to be that mentor that I had with my father. I want them to be able to say she was there for me when I wanted to create my business. She jumped in and helped me. She helped me when I needed to figure out where I wanted my next phase of life to be without being judgmental. So I'm I'm hoping that I can continue to do that with a lot of my, not only my children, but my children's friends, because I do that with a lot of them as well.
0: <laughs> and I'm guessing you're probably going to end up coaching a little bit here, whether it's about being an entrepreneur or living their inspired life. Do you think about starting another company at all? Is that serial entrepreneur coming out inside of you? Not yet, because
1: this one's still in major growth mode. So <laughs> right now I feel
0: satisfied, but I don't know what
1: will happen then. I did write a book in 2012 called Creating a World of Difference, and uh, I thought seriously about going back to the tablet and doing my next phase, which would be more around living living your life outside of messages and really working on core values and how do you in how do you really do that? I used to, I used to write core values down and think, oh yeah, that's a good one. We'll take that one. And then when I realized you have to connect life experiences with that value to really understand how, it, how you can empathize with it and how you can really roll it out. It, it really became real then. It, it became very real about 10 years ago was when we really got deep into what is a core value and what does it mean? And I, I really love it when my team, all of the employees send me stories a lot of times about what that means to them. What does Never Settle mean to you? And once they can connect that, then they connect it all the way through business and home. So I really think that people, when they're trying to set those core values, have to realize: well, what makes me tick first, and then what does that word mean to other people? And you tell I tell my story, and then they connect their stories to that meaning of create of um, the never settle of say it mean it do it. Uh, all of those are critical to. To them to create stories that match what they do because when you know what you do and why you make a difference in life and in business you're a much joyful higher joy I mean like you doing what you do Lori you give messages out to people that are changing their lives that feels good feels you may good. never hear back from them but you know you're doing it
0: <laughs> sometimes I hear from the audience and it is amazing in this medium you don't know who's listening but there have been some listeners that have reached out and said, I, I'm really enjoying your show. Here's why. And it, it does feel really, really good. good. And I do work with clients about things like this, about finding their next, finding their purpose, helping tie their values with their company. And whether it's preparing for the next generation of leaders or whether it's maybe selling their business to a third party, if you don't have your core values written down, you know, and it isn't just a punch card exercise of, oh, right. I got to do and check the box. Right. And that's where I do start with a lot of clients. So I'm glad you talked about that. And I have one client. She's funny. She's a roll your eyes person like, oh, this is hokey, you know, witchcraft. Why are we doing it? <laughs> and then we did it. And she's like, here's how I ended up using it. She goes, here's why it was so powerful. She yeah. used it at her end of year meetings. She used it with client presentations. She used it in pitch meetings Yeah. that I see the value of it now. Lori, what you're doing is so valuable, it's not hokiest, so thank you. Yes, <laughs> awesome. yes, it's true, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Well, two last questions for you, Tana. One is, if people want to find you or connect with you, what's the best way to reach out to you or to learn more about your company? Well, absolutely, www.myworkchoice.com. Um, and you can
1: get to me through that. Um, I also have uh, tanagreen.com where you can buy my book, uh, creating a world of difference. And uh, both, both avenues get messages to me. And um, if you know any people out there that are looking to they need work, but they can't get a stagnant schedule, and they may not be highly skilled, this is a place for them to go. Great. And so they should go to that website. Yes, they can download the app. It's real simple. It's myworkchoice.com. It's an app, you fill it out within an hour on your couch, you're off to work.
0: Anywhere in the United States? Well, we're in about 26 cities now and growing fast, so. Gotcha. Okay, so they'll be able to find that. That's great. And the last question for you is about favorite quotes. If you have any that you'd like to share or any mantras that you have that you can share. Okay, I gotta think, Tess, there's a lot of
1: them that I love. Um, I, my favorite that I say all the time is the universe unfolds as it should.
0: Have patience. Yes. Have patience. That's a beautiful quote. Tana, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was wonderful to get to talk to you and hear your story. You're a very inspiring woman. So thank Thank you. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me, Lori. And let's go make some people feel good about themselves today. Absolutely. Good. Innovation, transition, growth. Easy to say, but hard to do. If you're an entrepreneur facing these challenges, I get it. I work with businesses from small to big to achieve your vision. Visit smalldotbig.com to learn more. I'd love to connect with you. Subscribe to Succession Stories, and if you enjoy the show, please share a rating and review. Thanks for listening.